Good morning. Today's scripture is Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I have to tell you all, it is a privilege to kind of be back in my hometown. And I know there's a uh, few familiar faces of friends and family with us today. So thank you for joining us and hopefully get to say hi to you at the end here. Um, so I grew up in Leesburg, Virginia, and I did go to Stonebridge. And I'm going to tell you, it was um, a beautiful thing. I thought it was not going to be fantastic. I was supposed to go to Lowndes County High School, uh, where all of my cousins or my brother went. Um, but it turned out actually really good that I went to Stonebridge because the sports turned out to be pretty okay. And so that worked out since I played baseball, basketball, and football. So I have fond memories both growing up here in Lowndes County um, as well as spending a lot of time here. I was a pastor with Potomac Hills PCA Church in Leesburg for about four and a half years before I also joined RUF, our, our PCA's college campus ministry. Um, but also, there's another reason why I love this area, too, is my wife, uh, Alicia, uh, she was actually uh, working for Lowndes County Public Schools as well. And my parents also worked for Lowndes County Public Schools uh, many years ago. So there's a lot of love for these buildings and you all who are blessing a lot of these people and neighbors. So thank you for having me. Thank you for bringing me back as well. And uh, hopefully, Paul will let me come back after today uh, as well, because I would love to do that. But... Um, uh, what I want to uh, walk you guys through today is Psalm 77. This is a beautiful psalm 
uh, but it's a lament. Uh, there's tragedy and there's sorrow in the author's life or the, the communal life of Israel. And Asaph is, is crying out to God in this. He's asking hard questions. He's lamenting. But even as he's lamenting about circumstances, which he doesn't name, he, we know there's trials, there's suffering. We don't know exactly what they are because he doesn't name them. But what we know is this is a man in great turmoil, going through great hardship, trials and tribulations. And what he's doing is he's putting on display through song a lament about what's going on. He's crying out to God. He's connecting with God. But as he's doing that, he is also one of the three Levitical priests who's called to lead Israel, the nation of Israel, into worship week in and week out. Because he's living during the tenure of King David and King Solomon. So he's leading a vast array, a huge nation into public worship week in and week out. And he's showing them how to be humans when difficulties come. What does it mean to be humanized and to go through the process of loving God and connecting with God when you feel like God is nowhere to be seen? And so he's inviting his community, the nation of Israel, to be more human to connect in a deeper level to God, have a deeper relationship. And he does it through song. That's what the Psalms are, but he does it through a lament. But he's not going to stay in lament. He's going to move and transcend towards hope. So he's going to take us in this Psalm from tears of sorrow to even tears of joy. Not that maybe his circumstance has magically shifted or changed, but his his perspective on what God is doing in and through his circumstances has begun to change and to change his heart to love God and to trust God in and through the strife and the turmoil. And so what he's doing here, he's inviting us to emulate the rhythm of this song. That's really what he's doing. To imagine what healthy coping looks like. Dealing with our struggles in life, with trauma in a healthy way, and he's modeling for us the process in which we should do that. First, going to God. And how do we even go to God? What do we talk to God about? He models for us what healthy processing looks like. And this is good for all of us because we all know that life is difficult. Life is not always equitable. There's always trials. There's difficulties, both big and small. And what Asaph has to offer you as a way of bringing great honesty He's affirming difficulty, but he also says God is with you through it all, through thick and thin. Through the chaos, God will make a way. He will bring organization. He will bring beauty from ashes. And so that's what we're going to see in this passage. And there's four sections kind of this passage. We're going to see in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see Asaf is lamenting for the glory of God. Second, in 5 through 9, we're going to see him ask questions for the glory of God. And then verses 10 through 15, we're going to see a shift kind of towards the glory of God. We're going to see a shift take place in his demeanor and disposition. And then lastly, in verses 16 through 20, we're going to see him remember the glory of God. And it's going to be good. And so as my son used to say, we're going to start low, but we're going to finish up, up, way high, daddy, is what he used to say when he was younger. He's a little older now. But we are going to start low, but we're going to finish high because God is good, amen? And God works through all trials and tribulations for his people, amen? And so this is what we're going to see, and we're going to have some good news. So pray with me as we dive in in just a little bit. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are kind. Um, Lord, you are at work. 
Lord, through the, the peaks as much as you are, Lord, through the valleys. Lord, but we are also, Lord, we are fickle people. And when we go through many trials and tribulations, Lord, we often turn to coping mechanisms, turn to, to good things you've given us, and we turn them into ultimates. Lord, whether we numb ourselves or we distract ourselves, Lord, or we simply just turn away because we doubt that you're there, that you care, that you're good. But let, Lord, you speak to us through your scriptures. Lord, you not only humanize us, Lord, and you affirm the brokenness of our reality. You remind us that you're with us, that you love us, and Lord, that you turn the broken things into beautiful mosaics, Lord. We love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that even in our doubts, even in our times of despair, you are with us, you are beside us, because you never leave us, you never forsake us. Thank you for this beautiful song that calls us to emulate, Lord, um, this healthy rhythm of loving you and loving others in a broken world. Lord, we love you. We're praising Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, C.S. Lewis writes in um, one of his books, it's called The Weight of Glory. He says, we live in a world that's starved for solitude, for silence and privacy, and therefore we are starved for deep meditation. That's what he's saying. I think this is true in our day and age. He first spoke these words in 1941, and then he put them down in book form in 1949, a time and age where obviously Facebook and Twitter did not rule. AOL did not exist just right down the corner, right down the road from us, right back in the day. Netscape Navigator wasn't there, right? You know, Internet Explorer, uh, Super Nintendo, right? Nintendo Switch these days, not even Atari, obviously, right? Color TVs and microwaves were kind of coming on the scene during this time. So imagine what Lewis would say to us today with all the things we have to cope with, to distract ourselves with. All the buzzing, right? The beeping. All the things that take our attention away from both God, but also processing our circumstances in a healthy way. All the things that we have we can turn to very easily, just like that, with one click, right? turn of the head, whatever it might be, maybe a short drive, that we can go to instead of God. How easy is it? We live in an easy everywhere, right, kind of culture. I love some of the beauties of technology and some of the, some of the beautiful things that have come about, but we also have to understand that there's also a sinister side as well, that we can cope with all sorts of things. Maybe for you it's not tech or Netflix like it is for a lot of my contingency at CNU. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's your children, right? Maybe it's your hobbies, whatever it is. When we go through trials, tribulations, what do you turn to first and what do you come back to? Asaph gives us an alternate thing that we can go to. He says, maybe we should maybe try, let's go to God first because there's maybe greater health, healing, and even perspective, and so what I'm going to ask us to do is to see the rhythm of this, but to begin to also try to want to emulate the rhythm of this song. Because as the book of James says, we are not just to be hearers of the word. You all and myself are called to be doers of the word. So I'm calling you to hear what God is saying, but then also to go out and do it as well. And so that is what is in this passage. Asaph says, says I cry aloud to God, Aloud to God, and God, he will hear me. And the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. It's a good start, right? In the night, he says, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. And yet when I remember God, he says, I moan. 
when I meditate, my spirit faints, right? He says, you, Lord, hold my eyelids open, but I am so troubled that I cannot even speak. That's what he says. He says, in the day of my trouble and the turmoil and the strife, I seek the Lord. I go to God. That's, a great, that's just a great application right there, right? But when he begins to think more deeply about his connection and his communion with God, he's, he moans and his, his heart faints a little bit. Well, why? Why does this man who's leading the people of worship week and week, why is his spirit fainting? Why is he moaning when he thinks about God? Is God not great? Has he not provided for him and his people over and over? Why is he responding this way? He's a human being. And when he faces difficult circumstances, he groans. He's frustrated. He knows God is powerful. He's omnipotent. But right now, he's not seeing that power work in his favor or the life of Israel's favor. He's frustrated. What's going on, God? What's happening here? He has known the presence of God, but maybe he's feeling the stinging absence of that presence now. And you all can understand that with things that have maybe gone on in your life. He's known it. God is good. But right now, he's not feeling it, right? We always know that sometimes our feelings are not always truth with a capital T. But what he's doing that's good as he's talking to God at least about his struggles. Maybe he's a little frustrated right now, but he's talking with God about that. This is, this is what's called godly complaining. This is not grumbling. Grumbling's putting the blame and it's shifting it to God saying, you're the author of evil. This is saying, as Asaf is doing, Lord, this ought not be. This should not be. And that's actually pretty biblically accurate. In a post-Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve, yeah, things happen that ought not to happen all the time. And he's saying, this ought not be. And he's doing business with God. And so his lament is on par with his reality. And this is God's breathed out word. That's helpful. This is affirming. We can do that too. We can talk to God. We can share, Lord, this ought not be the things in our lives that sometimes ought not. We can do that and share that as well. Right? There's all sorts of things that happen. Losses of jobs, right? Cancer, difficulties with children, coaches, parents, right? Neighbors, right? Even sometimes just the, 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 the lack of answered prayers maybe, right? All sorts of things, difficulties, divorces, right? Deaths. Things ought not to be broken, but yet they are. Post-Genesis 3. And he's saying, God, this ought not be. And he's talking to God about it. Notice what happens next. God does not spite him, doesn't throw down a lightning bolt on him, does he? He doesn't do that. So there's a beautiful aspect of this of we're being called to sit down and talk with God about the things that are going on in our lives and the trials and difficulties. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just lament. He also goes deeper and he begins to ask really hard questions of God. This is what he asks of the Lord. He says, will the Lord spurn forever? Will he never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love, has it actually ceased? Has he stopped his love and faithfulness to me and the people of Israel? Are his promises, are they at an end? Has our sin levels, have they reached too much? Have they reached the end of his level? And he's just being like, all right, forget it and walking away. Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? That's what the author's saying. How we reach the end of the, your rope, right? And the answer is no. 
But he's asking them hard questions. And he ought to. He's saying, Lord, where are you? Do you love me? Do you love your people? Um, I know you're omnipresent. I get that. And I've seen your presence in the past. I've heard the stories of old and Exodus and the miracles, all the things that you've done when your people have never deserved them. But I've seen you do them. Are these at an end? You've been all over the place, but yet are you nowhere now? Where are you? Are your promises of eternal grace, security, blessing, are they no longer true? He's expressing that the Lord's silence is deafening. That's what he's describing. This is a man in the midst of going through a breakdown, whether it's personal or he's expressing it for what's going on in the communal life of his people. But what we know, something awful is going on. And there are feelings of being alone, feelings of being abandoned. A man who's known the presence of God, but yet there is a stinging feeling of his absence at this moment. And what Asaph is leading us into is we can be really honest with God. We can ask God hard questions. That's actually okay for us to do. It's not as if he doesn't know your questions when you struggle. He's omniscient, right? The other omni. He, he knows already what he's doing, though, is just actually admitting that, and he's doing business. He's slowing down his life to process his stuff with God because no other earthly person is going to be able to handle this stuff right now or be able to make miraculous changes. He's going to the right source, and he's being a human being by crying out to him and asking him heartfelt questions. But when you also ask your heartfelt questions of God, what are you doing? You're setting God up in a glorious manner, in which he is able in his time and in his ways to reveal his glory to you. It may not happen in your time frame or in the ways that you want it. But when we ask these questions, Lord, what's going on in this situation? We're both expressing, but also affirming the reality of our current situation, our present circumstances. But yet we are still looking to and resting upon his divinity for change and for growth and for healing. See, this is putting our biblical theology into practice, dealing with our present reality. It's not just staying as head knowledge, right? This is walking it out. The Christian life isn't just knowledge of God. It's knowledge of God, hearing the word of God, and then modeling and doing the word of God as well. And this is what he's doing. And because it's recorded for us, we're being called into this as well to emulate this rhythm as well, not just to be hearers, but to be doers. See, what Asaf needs is not pat answers. Hey, it's going to be okay, buddy. It's going to be fine, right? Those kind of responses. Because maybe right now it ain't fine. And it's not going to be fine for a while. Let me tell you that, right? When I've worked with cancer patients, I can't just go in and say to them when I'm in the hospital visiting some folks, hey, it's going to be just, just going to be okay. Tomorrow you're going to be, it may be difficult for a while. It may be very hard. Is God still good and in control? Amen. Yes, he is. But it may be very difficult. All right? What we don't need are pat responses and pat answers. What we need is God and his presence himself and reminders of that. That God is with us through thick and thin. That he does not leave us. He does not forsake us when the going gets tough. As Psalm 1 says, says gives you this picture of a tree planted by streams of living water. If we want to be like that tree, streams growing up thick and beautiful, having lots of fruit, roots have to go deep. In order for those roots to go deep, to get that water, got to spend time with God, got to spend time with his word. Process your stuff, and beauty and health will come in us. 
Droughts, difficulties, you know they're going to come. But let me tell you, you've got also to remember that God is faithful. And sometimes we need to recount the stories of God and the Old Testament and our own lives as well to remind ourselves that this is true, sometimes even when we're feeling that it's not true. Sometimes we need that extra jolt. This is where we begin to see the shift for us off here in verses 10 through 15. This is what he's doing. He's arguing against his own heart. This is tough, but we're called to do this too. Um, Take a look there. Verses 10 through 15 say, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders, O Lord, of old. And I will ponder all of your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you have redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. As a lawyer might appeal, right, uh, to a former case to try to set precedent maybe in the current case, Asaph is appealing to the the former miracles. Uh, He's appealing to the character of God and what he did in the Exodus to save his people. And it was a messed up people he was saving. But he's appealing to this nature, to the historical events, as well as the nature of his God saying, if God can do that then, he can do something now. He may not personally believe that right in this moment, or he may not feel that to be true, but what he's doing is appealing to something that's more true than just his feelings. He's saying, God did this. This is a historical event. God did this. This is who God is, his character and nature. I'm going to set my mind and my heart upon that, and I'm going to let that begin to slowly sink into my heart and my mind and give me a bigger perspective than than what's right in front of me because my current circumstance is just drowning me and I can literally only see right just in front of my two feet. This is calling us out of that to a grander perspective. He's asking us to enter into the older stories seeing the character of God, even if maybe that's not the character you think that's on display right now in your life. And he's calling you to that. He's arguing against his own heart and his feelings of abandonment. But let me tell you, this is hard to do in practice if you don't slow down. If you're living life so fast and so busy and you don't make time for God, you can't do this. You can't do this rhythm. I'm just going to be straight and honest with you. My college students struggle with this. The other churches, when I preach to them, their people, they struggle with this. Why? Because life is fast in America. Northern Virginia, I'm a product of this. I know it's even faster. All right? And let me tell you, um, slow down. God is worth it. Other people are worth it. Like Paul is saying, spend time with other people. And we can't even begin to get healthy perspectives of the trauma that's going on if we don't slow down and spend time with God. And so if you don't slow down first, let me tell you, this is a very tough thing to actually to be a doer of um, because you need time to think, to reflect, ask yourself, what's going on in my heart? How am I doing? What hard questions ought I be asking God that maybe I'm not because I'm just dealing with them, or I'm just numb. We cannot resort to our coping mechanisms. That'll simply numb you or push you past the pain or just divert you from the pain. There is healing when we deal with our pain and when we enter into it, but we do it in a Godward way. God is with us. He doesn't leave us. That's what the Psalm's reminding us. Successful meditation, that's kind of what he's doing. He says, and I meditate. Successful meditation 
is yes, it's lamenting about these things. It's asking God hard questions, but it's also remembering the stories of God and his faithfulness. And in closing, this is kind of what he does. Um, what Asaph is doing is he's reminding himself of, of God's faithfulness. He's going back to a monumental event in history and, and reminding himself of what God did. Um, but he's also putting himself in the shoes of probably what the Israelites, what they would have felt. And he's doing it looking at the Exodus. And if you're familiar with the Exodus, um, you know that there is a big God, Yahweh, who's bringing an enslaved people group who's been enslaved for over 400 years. He's bringing them to freedom, bringing them the freedom of both of worship, but also civilly freedom to be able to do and govern and do what they want to do, right? All sorts of manners of the way we say freedom. There's good things going on there. Um, but we, we can't forget that as they were leaving Egypt, what's happening there is that there's also an army chasing them that's also coming after them. And Moses and Aaron are leading the people towards a giant sea. How is that smart? You're leading a lot of people, possibly a million plus, women and children, right? Big vehicles, animals, and you're leading all this stuff out. And obviously a big wad of gold, as we know, that the people just kind of gave it to them as they are leaving Egypt. And you're leading them to a giant sea, right? The people probably would have been thinking, great, we've been enslaved for all these years. You've led us out, all the plagues, and now you've led us out to be easily slaughtered because this is a giant sea and it ain't going anywhere. So thank you for that blessing. Thank you for that miracle. Great. Bleak is probably a word to describe how they felt when they saw the sea. You let us where? Great. Now we're even easier fodder to be trampled over. But what does God do? He does something miraculous in the darkness and the bleakness of their situation. This is what Asaph, this is what he's reminding himself. He says, but when the waters saw you, O God, when they saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the world. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and it shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Chaos was behind them. And trying to think to traverse through this water would have just been sheer chaos for that group of people, that many people. But what does God do, he says? He makes a way through the chaos. He parts the chaos. And the Bible, the sea is always imaged as this picture of chaos. In the end of Revelation, it says there'll be no more sea when the heavens, the new heavens come and this earth is transformed again. That does not mean there'll be no more water, right? It says there'll be no more chaos. It's a picture of things that we can't control. The sea is. And what he does is he parts the chaos for his people to make a way through. Now, as we know, is their journey still going to be, is it all going to be roses and all going to be great? And they're, as uh, Joel Osteen would say, their best lives now? 40 years of, of wandering the desert, yeah, the desert, right? Difficulty. So God is not saying that everything's just going to be beautiful and amazing right now, because we may not experience it on this side of glory. It may be the other side of glory. We might have some foretastes of it, right? We might, and the Lord is faithful and good when he does. 
but it might be the other side of glory. Because let me tell you, that generation, God did beautiful things, led them through, but it was also difficult afterwards. But here's the kicker. This is what you need to see, and this is what Asaf is trying to show you. God is with his people in the chaos, in the turmoil, making a way forward for them to see that he is God and he is good and he loves his people and he makes a way. Even sometimes it's not easy. That is what we're seeing. We're being reminded. Certain death was on the prowl, but Lord provided for his people um, and he saved them. Now, when we think about this, because living in the church age, we also have the cross and Jesus Christ we see that there's a, a greater exodus, a greater act of salvation that happened. You have to understand, this was Asaf's greatest act of salvation. We can reflect on this also a little differently because the greatest act of salvation we have ever known and experienced, the chaos that was parted, wasn't just slavery and physical death. The chaos of Jesus Christ on the cross that he parted was eternal death, eternal slavery to your coping mechanisms, and there being no hope there being no good news at the end of all the brokenness. He parted that and makes sense of it. He gives us hope and he says, I will come back and redeem you and the world. Even the world groans for me. You also groan for me and I will make it right and renew it again. And that's what we long for. That's what we hope for. Our hope the Christian life is Jesus Christ saving us spiritually from our sins dying for us on the cross, giving us his righteousness, but it's also him restoring all that's broken, the brokenness of the past, him using it for beautiful ways. If God can take the most evil and vile event in human history, the murder of an innocent man, Jesus Christ, who's the only actually physically, emotionally, spiritually innocent man, if he can use that for our greatest good, he can take the broken pieces, things in your life, and create beautiful things and even good out of them not just for you, but also for others, for the greater community as well. God does that, and he's that kind of God. And that's what we're being reminded of. The passage closes in verses 19 and 20 saying, You, Lord, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You, Lord, led your people like a flock by the hand right, of Moses and Aaron. We can even read that today. You lead us, your people, now and today and forevermore because your character never changes. You lead us by the hand of your son, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit who poured out because you're with us till the end of the age, Matthew 28 says. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You are with us. May not be easy, but good news is coming. Great news is coming. And the Lord's with you in and through it until that day. On this side of glory, as well as the one where he welcomes you if paradise comes next for you. Amen? The Lord is faithful through trials and tribulations, as well as at the other end, to love his people. Emulate this rhythm. Slow down, spend time, my friends, with the Lord, because he will shape you, shape your heart, shape your, even just your perspective of what's going on, because he's faithful. He's with you through it all. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you are good, that you are faithful, Lord. Thank you for even just bringing us today and even just this transition and switching of, of locations, Lord. You are faithful. There are rhyme, Lord, uh, reasons and ways of what's going on, Lord, and the things in our lives and the events of our lives, Lord. Um, I don't even know sometimes of, of, of the, the trauma, Lord, that's in the people that I get to, to speak to. 
But Lord, you do. And I know you're working in and through it, Lord. Remind them that you're faithful, that you're kind, that you hear their prayers. Thank you for giving us even a rhythm and a model, Lord, that we can follow through to see your goodness and to be reminded that you are faithful, Lord, all the days of our lives. That you never leave us and you never forsake us. Because, Lord, your ways are higher than our ways. Lord, thank you so much that you, uh, you humanize us in suffering. Lord, you're with us, but you also give us hope that there is an end. Lord, we love you. We praise in your holy and precious name. And all God's people said, amen.